Hello friends, welcome to episode 90 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can, whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I am Sarah. I'm Rob. How are we doing, Rob? Not too bad. Had a good dinner. Yeah. And uh, a little bit of cake. Yeah. So, a little bit of bumpy cake. A uh, little bit of bumpy cake. Oh, it's so. so good. Um, So... Tonight. It's 90. Man, do you remember when we first started running games? Like, can you think all the way back to when you first started DMing, storytelling, whatever? I, I know can... we, we've kind of, we've kind of reminisced a bit. Yeah, I think, the the f- I, I think I remember my, I can still remember my excitement when I first found Robotech. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the first time I had played games because I'd played D&D with, like, my cousin and a few other people, like, randomly, and I was kind of interested in it. But it wasn't until I saw that Robotech book that I got excited and I wanted to run something. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I was like, I want to run this. I want to do this. I want to have giant robots fighting giant people in a space world and missiles clustering out of shoulders of things and spinning across you know and dodging that's the kind of crap that i wanted to get into oh yeah 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 no i i had uh kind of the same thing you know when when i first started role playing i did have that impulse of like oh i i I want to do this i want to be the one telling that story yeah uh for me it was change mutant ninja turtles of course dude that i picked that one up very shortly thereafter it was was such a great game such a great system and it was such freedom in its character creation and the stories Mm -hmm. you could tell with it it was just just uh just amazing um yeah but i do remember wanting to jump into that right away wanting to jump into storytelling like Mm -hmm. i'm doing it wrong i enjoyed being a player Mm -hmm. but uh but there was that impulse right from the very beginning yeah do you remember um any uh apprehensions you had about it I you know I think in my first foyer into it I didn't have any I had the I had <laughs> I would have to say I had the enthusiasm and boat and sheer dumb drive of like a four year old showing off something brand new there but for the grace of Gygax I go <laughs> it's kind of like I didn't think that there was ever going to be a problem like oh, yeah. I was just so damn excited to do stuff and I threw stuff together and I like came up with this idea and I had mm-hmm. this whole and I just went with it mm-hmm. and honestly I will have to say my first game was a hot pile of mess well, of course yeah but at the same time it was still fun yeah like yeah. it was it was fun getting into it I think so shortly thereafter I realized that there really wasn't anybody running games and I would be the one doing it. Oh, isn't that yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, you, just, you you become the forever DM. Yeah, cuz I I would uh, the few people who I gamed with after that I was like they're worse than a hot mess. Mm-hmm. Like I don't even know what's going on here and so it just from there I ended up running a lot more than I had ever game. I I still love to sit down at games and play like that is enjoyable Uh to me because it it's so different it's so different so you get that that love-hate relationship when you hear your friends say for the first time wow you're a really good dm yeah you're like oh no no oh no No, i told i I told the good story yeah now i'm stuck here in the chair for another five years i gave him the good dice (laughs) (laughs) i gave him the good dice fair enough fair enough and you know you know you're you know you're glued to that chair for yeah forever. you're you're gonna 10, be behind the screen years. forever now so I'm, I'm 20 years behind the chair for some players yeah that i have yep different games different systems still telling stories yep yep it's, it's but been it's, about, it's been about 12 for me i think that i've that i've been in your games yeah i would say at least that i mean because it was after we got in the house mm-hmm. so yeah so yeah i would say about that well, i've been in the house 14 so I I met you pre-transition. That's true. That is true. So I that know exactly true. how long that's been. Well, I mean, yeah, there's that. There's mm-hmm. that. So, but uh, yeah, when I when we started this topic and and going back to like the 101, I like you know I'm like oh well you know these are all the things that I immediately thought of and I was like wait I need to wash my head of that, and so I actually went out digging for different uh, storytellers. Uh-huh. I went to people who are mainstays, you know, that I go to. Um, and then I also went to people who have, within the last year, basically learned mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and saw what they had put as what they found or things that they wish they would have known or things they learned right off the bat that, like, they needed to know immediately. And I found it interesting that a lot of them crossed over. There was some good crossover of, yeah. like, hey, these are definitely things you need to know. But it was neat to see the refreshing differences mm-hmm. um, of things you forget. 
See, you, Easily. you went to the positive reinforcement end of it. <laughs> I I trolled for the negative reinforcement end of it. That's fair. Um, and I read some horror stories of like first-time storytellers yeah. and uh, people who, who are considering becoming storytellers and such like that. Um, and uh, I so I looked at kind of where their pitfalls were and what, what advice I might offer those people who are experiencing those pitfalls and stuff like that. And uh, you and I, together, we... Uh, put our heads together and we came yeah. up with tonight's show sheet. So. Yeah. I mean, we definitely slimmed down the list. There was a lot. Oh, there, there was is. a ton. But I think some of it overlapped. Mm-hmm. And that's that's really where it is. So I, I would say that tonight is going to be <laughs> a, a more of an open discussion, but we'll try and and get the points. Yeah. So yeah, you guys but, can hear but it. But it's also back to the basics. And I yeah. think a lot of times we talk very, you know, kind of high concept about world building and character yeah. writing and stuff like that. But um, I think it's very good to get kind of back to the basics for yeah. those who are just like, hey, look, man, I barely know the rules to D&D and I'm, you know, yeah. shaking in my boots about running my first game. What do I need to know? Yeah. Or I'm really excited and I want to run a game, but I have no idea what I'm up against. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I'm nervous because the unknown is huge. What What are some things that I should know right now? I yeah. should write down and just keep those in my head. All right. Well, let's let's jump right in then. Okay. All okay. right. So I think our number one thing that we everybody said both it. agreed on yeah. is you don't need to know the rules. You don't. You need to know enough rules to get you through a game. Yep. But um, especially like with Dungeons and Dragons, where you've got you know multiple different books. You've got a player's guide. You got a DM's guide. You got Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. You've got Xanathar's Guide to Everything, or Tasha's Cauldron of I don't know. Anyways, you know what I'm saying is you've got yes. books upon books upon books upon books. It can look very intimidating. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't know all of that stuff. It's okay. You don't need to. It's okay. You don't need to. Just, you know that if you roll a D20, mm-hmm. you add an applicable score to it. Yeah. Typically, it's going to be your uh, ability score, probably plus your proficiency modifier, depending. I mean, but that's just for d and I mean, the basic rule is yeah. it's a D20. You roll up. That's it. Yeah. Roll high. Mm-hmm. That, that's the key. So if you just know that and you watch players roll their dice and they roll high, they're doing well. They roll low, they're not doing well. That's it. That's the basic rule. That's yeah. it. You you look at uh, uh, the basic rule of White Wolf. Roll a bunch of dice. How many sevens are up did you right. get? Did, did you succeed by rolling better than sixes? Sixes are betters? Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Great yep. job. You're doing You're doing fantastic. And that's the thing. Every base game that is well designed in the mm-hmm. most part usually has a simple rule that you just have to have that one simple rule in your head roll better than this roll under this you know and that's it mm-hmm. that that's now you can move forward and play enjoy yep. yourself absolutely um the uh, if, if you if you do come to a stumbling block which I might, I, look even experienced groups do you're going to come to that moment we're going to be like well what's the rule for this i want to try this I think there's a way in the book for it to, to, to adjudicate it. Sometimes it's okay to look it up, um, especially you know when you're when you're all learning a game. Mm-hmm. You know, you can go in with just that basic. You know, I roll a d twenty. The higher, the better. Cool. Yes. Um, but sometimes it's okay to to, to, to look it up during gameplay. Mm-hmm. It's a learning experience for everybody, especially if you're all a new group. Yeah. You can all learn that rule together. You have a living example in your gameplay of why that rule, when and what, how that rule applies. Yep. You walk away from it going, oh, okay, that's how a grapple check works. Yep. Cool. Now we know. Um, sometimes, too, if you're really into the story, it's better just to table it. Mm-hmm. Just make a ruling on the on, you know on the fly, mm-hmm. and then go and look that rule up later. Yeah, I mean, it, the one of the hardest things I think I found as a storyteller was when something rules based started to frustrate me. I didn't recognize quick enough that it was frustrating me and ruining the story Mm -hmm. and as i got older i recognized that so one of the best things i can tell people especially with rules if you don't know the rules or you don't know a particular rule and it starts to grind the game try and recognize that quicker and just be like okay this is what we're going to do guys and then we're moving on Mm -hmm. and we just and just move on get away from it walk away from it if if you need to take a five minute break, say so we're going to walk away from this. Everybody, just take five. We're going to walk away, and we're going to move on from this. When we come back together, we're on with the rest of the story. This is how it's going to work, because it will save your games. Even if whatever you say is wrong, yeah. it's not going to ruin the game. Yep. 
And and that's the key. Because first off, you're the storyteller. It just goes. Secondly, if the player is frustrated about it, you need to get away from that moment. Mm Mm-hmm. Later on, you can be like, you can come back to it and say like, hey, can you show me that rule? Because, you know, so I can look at it and see what's going on with it. And maybe we can figure this out, you know, or maybe it's something we have to look up elsewhere or, you know, whatever. But don't let it bog down the game. Mm-hmm. Let the game keep going. Yeah. That's the key. Yeah. The, the, the main takeaway is don't let the rules ever stand in the way of your good time. Exactly. Exactly. And um, the other thing about... A, a most systems is uh and this is kind of an unwritten rule that you don't see in systems and that is is that regardless of what the rules say about how you succeed failure doesn't mean nothing happens mm-hmm. failure doesn't mean that the you know the the player who goes to pick the lock and fails their pick check okay it is up to you to explain what the consequence of that of that not success is mm-hmm I mean, when you when you go to do something in life, you know, I'm going to go cut an apple, okay? If I fail at cutting the apple, what happens? Maybe I didn't cut it perfectly. Maybe I ended up getting seeds in some of my stuff. There's a consequence, but it's not like the knife didn't cut the apple. Right, right, you know, right. It doesn't immediately slice off one of my fingertips... It doesn't immediately slide across the table and stab one of my friends, you know? I, I really like how Dungeon World does things, mm-hmm. um, where it says, okay, if you don't make the roll, choose. Either you deal no damage, mm-hmm. or you still deal damage, but you take a return hit. That's a great way of doing it. Go, go ahead, choose. You tell yeah. me what yeah. happens, you know? Yeah. I like that, but there's a lot of systems that don't do that. So just keep it in your mind that when you're running a game... You have the ability as the storyteller to have a consequence that is applicable. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe his thieves' tools break. Maybe the the lock does open, but now it's broken. So the whatever it is can't be relocked or it's stuck open, mm-hmm. you know? Or whatever they use to pick it is jammed in it permanently. So whatever magical dagger they were using is now stuck permanently in the lock, Right. That those are things; those are consequences. Mm-hmm. But it keeps the story going; it keeps it flowing. All right. Point number two: you don't need stuff. No, you don't need a lot of stuff. At you all. don't. Um, we <laughs> did an entire episode on the extra accoutrement of of gaming, of uh, little tools and and you know trackers and dice and minis and all that extra jazz. Um, there is, you know, a condition rings that you can put around your minis so you can tell when somebody's blessed or cursed or something, you know? Yeah. All this extra stuff, um, to, to maps, to terrain pieces, you don't need any of it. You don't need a single bit of it. Back in the day, we played our games with nothing more than a spiral notebook, a, a, a pen or a pencil, and maybe one set of dice, half of which was... F- pilfered out of our Other board games. games yeah oh i need more d6s well i guess uh, uh, monopoly monopoly's looking a little uh dusty little there yeah. so <laughs> exactly and and or you'd you'd find them through you know any number of other means i i remember a couple friends who would go to garage sales uh-huh and and find them through that oh yeah 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 absolutely but that's that's really all you need i mean mm-hmm. honestly you can you can play um 90 percent 99 percent yeah. Um, Battletech would be a little difficult without minis because it is a miniatures game. Yeah, but you could use other minis. But you can use other minis. Even even that. If you yeah. want minis, there's there's always there's always a cheaper option. My, my, one of my favorite stories was uh, there was a a young boy who was learning Warhammer 40k. I mm-hmm. this just reminded me. His brother had a small army. Uh huh. But he's like, I really want to learn to play, and he was just like, Well, I mean, I need to get you an army or something. And he's just like. Well, you know, what are these guys? They just look like soldiers. And he's like, well, that's the Imperial Guard. Mm -hmm. He's like, okay. And he literally runs off, grabs his brother's toy box, pulls out all of his plastic army men and Uh brings them out. And he's just like, what's this guy? And he's just like, "Uh, oh, that's, I guess that could be an Imperial Guard commander. Mm -hmm. And he's like, okay, what's this guy? Well, this guy got a flamethrower. So he's going to be part of this group. Uh And and they literally piece together him and Imperial Army out of green plastic soldiers and they played against each other i uh, i heard of someone learning tyranids the exact same way yep. and, it, and that that's what spawned the great quote 
Oh, it's look out for his carn effects. What behind the Coke can? No, it is the, the Coke, Coke can. can. <laughs> and that's it's stuff like that that makes it fantastic. Like I've seen people be so creative with uh-huh. what they use for different things. Yeah. You know, and of course you see it in the movies where they're like replicating like the look of a of a building with like, you know, uh, the Kleenex box is this and that's this. Yeah. So, so who am I? Uh, you're the thimble. Why we, am I the thimble? You know, we used to call it floor hammer. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and whatever. Uh-huh. I mean, but you're still playing a game. You're still having fun. It's make believe, guys. It just how fancy is your make believe? Uh, there have been more than more than a few times where I've used a you know a a pawn from uh, uh, like a Parcheesi yeah. set or something like that to represent my character. You know, nothing wrong with that. Just the yeah, absolutely I mean, nothing. And don't let other people tell you that your stuff isn't good enough. Yeah. Do not let them bully you into feeling inadequate if you you're, if you are using proxies for things or if you just don't have things in general. They're not part of the community then. Exactly. exactly. They're playing they're playing a different game. Don't let other people gamekeep you because no. your elders are here to tell you that they are forgetting their history. That's right. I mean, I got tons of minis that are still unpainted and I will still put them on the table. And okay. have people be like, what is this? And then pick it up and be like, oh, man, this is really cool if it'd be painted. I'm like, anytime you want to pick it up and paint it, go yeah, right for it. <laughs> you be my guest because I ain't got time for that. Yeah. Um, so um, our next top, our next point, uh, when you choose your campaign idea, don't think about the details. Yes. Just do broad strokes. Is, is there a horde of goblins attacking? Great. That's fantastic. That's a great opening. You don't have to need to know why they're attacking, where they're from, who's their leader. None of that is important. The, just get the basics out there. The why will come as you're telling the story. Just add something. I think, like, I, even even you know, experienced storytellers, I think, fall into this trap a lot. I know I fall into this trap a lot with you. Mm-hmm. Because you write very complex stories with a lot of tangled webs in them. I can, definitely. And, um... I find that intimidating. Like, straight up, I find that intimidating because I can't write those kinds of stories. I've tried, and they come out a damn mess. And so I'm, like you said, I'm very good at, like, refining a very straightforward procedural story. Yeah. And I tell a very good straightforward procedural story. It's wonderful. But I am not going to have the twists and turns, and I'm not I'm not here to write Lord of the, Rain, or Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. you know, which, like, I, I'm just going to tell you The Hobbit. Yeah. There's a there's there's a mountain. We're going. <laughs> there's a dragon in that mountain. Mm-hmm. Guess what we're going to do to the dragon? Yeah. And there's treasure under the dragon. Yeah. That's it. Boom, done. Yeah. Yeah. That's my story. Yeah. But um but then I I see I see the stories you write mm-hmm. that are all very complex and with lots of things like that and it gives me you know, it, it shines the light in my eyes, you know, a little bit. And I, mm-hmm. I have trouble seeing through that and I get very intimidated by it. And so my advice is Learn from my fail there, you know, learn from, learn from that. Don't, don't get intimidated by like other people's storytelling styles. Mm -hmm. Don't feel like you need to write a big complex epic. Yeah. Okay. There is so much value in your horde of, your group of adventurers. There are goblins in the dungeon. Yep. Go fight the goblins. Yep. And coming from my perspective of, of tending to write epics, I tend to write whole stories in my mind. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the entire story. That's not a game session. That's a story that I'm writing. Mm-hmm. So I tend to have to dial things back to a simpler set point where I say, okay, I definitely want to have this individual a- as a plot point. I want them to be a figure in this story. W- who are they? And I have to think about aspects of them, but that's already going too far for just a normal story. I don't need to do that. It's something I do naturally, yeah. and I constantly have to dial myself back. So if you feel that you are writing something large as one of your first stories, don't. Don't. I'm flat out telling you, don't do it. Start simple. Reach. Don't create a world. Don't don't create more than than the the visible area that the players see when they initially enter 
the world. Exactly. And, and then just answer questions that they ask. And here's the thing. And here's the thing. What, what this really comes down to is your players, the experience you're handing your players. Exactly. Because at the end of the day, your players are not going to be thinking, wow, you know, that was a deep and intricate, well-woven story with an elaborate, you know, world building behind mm-hmm. it. They're going to think, <laughs> you remember that time that I stabbed that one goblin that was running at me? Exactly. And then like his buddy ran up behind him and I stabbed him too with one sword strike. That was yeah. cool. I mean, and, and that's it. Yeah, that's what their that's what their takeaway is going to be. And I don't mean to make you know your players sound shallow or anything like that. No. There is value. There will be a time later when everybody's more experienced where they will walk away and go, "Wow, that was some really elaborate world building you did there." Yeah, especially when they like some of my favorite times with players isn't the big stuff. It's oftentimes when they intersect a previous game, like in my seventh C, mm-hmm. where you guys see something happening. That I literally, that you did in a different game. Yeah. Because I've crossed paths, because it's the same timeline looping, just different people in the same timeline, mm-hmm. you know, doing the same thing. It's stuff like that. It's the little things that come back around that people love. Reoccurring NPCs. Um, moments that they, that they talked about, that the players talked about yeah. coming true. So nine times out of ten, listen to your players. They will come up with an idea. They will remember the thing that they talked about way more than any narrative that you described to them. Mm-hmm. That's the key. Yep. All right. And we touched on this one a little bit earlier. Oh, yeah. Uh, you don't have to roll for everything. Um, so we, we talked a little bit about how, how you don't need to know all the rules. Now, here's you don't have to roll necessarily for everything. Keeping in mind that, like, not every time that, like, the rogue is picking a lock, you don't necessarily need to roll sleight of hand for it. If the warrior is trying to lift something that isn't really, really, really heavy, don't make them roll for it, you know? Um, The thing you always have to keep in mind, and I don't think most rule sets do a very good job of explaining this, is that um, not everything's a challenge, you know, uh, not everybody has, is is to a point where um, success or failure is on the line. Mm-hmm. That's really where you're looking for your for your die rolls. Yeah. Okay, if failure is going to change the outcome of the story, yep, that's that's something right there. But like, hey, we are uncontested at this point. There mm-hmm. are no enemies in the room. We've got more than enough time. We're not under any stress, and the rogue has a lock to pick. Okay. What happens if the rogue fails to pick the lock? They go, "Ah, oh, shoot!" And then they try it again. Yep. And for if, what? What if? Can they try it for the next ten minutes? Can they try it for the next twenty minutes uninterrupted? If the answer is yes, why are we rolling? Mm-hmm. There's no success or failure outcome there. So yep. when you when you are telling your story, and it can speed things up mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. It also makes the player feel a little more powerful. Yeah. Because they're not going to be failing as much. Yeah. You take a certain amount of success in their profession as understood. Think of how your rogue feels when when, when they're like, okay, I'm going to attempt to pick the lock. And you're like, all right, you pop that bitch open. Yep. Well, oh, okay, I don't have to roll for it. No, you're the rogue. Yeah. It's it's a foregone conclusion. Of course you pick that lock. Yeah. You're a hero. Yeah. You're a hero with lock picks. Yeah. I mean, and the other thing that I can say to that is... If you feel that there's something important that's being uncovered, maybe make them make a roll. But mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that their role is, like, meaningful behind the chart. It just gives them that chance of, I rolled the dice. Okay, I got a, I got a 16. What did I learn? Oh, well, you learned this. Mm-hmm. You don't care what the DC was. It's irrelevant <laughs> right. to you, but I... it makes them feel special because some players need that die roll. And that's reading your player mm-hmm. to know when it is okay to do a die roll and when it's just insignificant. I, I, I still do that to this day. Yeah. I, think I, rolled every... a, I rolled a 17 on my investigation check. Oh, 17 in yeah. that case. Yeah. I mean, here's it, the it, information I was totally going to give you anyways, but you felt the need to roll a die. So exactly. Okay. I mean, and it, and that's the thing is you don't necessarily have to put DCs in for every lore check and thing that you've got. You really don't. But it sometimes is fun to make the players feel that way. And when they do something miraculous, you make it feel miraculous. Mm-hmm. 
Knox in the box in the live chat brings up a good point too. He says, plus, if you normally don't make me roll, the time that you do piques my attention. Exactly. So, yeah, if, if the rogue is going around going, oh, yeah, I picked this super easy lock, you know, on a, on a commoner's lockbox. Yeah, okay, cool. Boom. That thing's child's play to you. Okay, well, I'll pop this lock. Cool, it's child's play. I, pop, I, I go to pop this lock. All right, give me a roll. Give me a roll? Yeah. Yeah. Give me a roll. Yeah. Okay. And then they're looking at you like, is 18 enough? <laughs> you know? Yep. Yeah, now it's now it's something something significant. Yeah. Um I like to do the same thing with combat in my games. Mm-hmm. Um I think it's really good. I don't have you guys fight for game sessions on end. So then when the swords do come out, it's like, oh shit, we're in combat now, you know. And now it's now it's meaningful when blood is shed. So it's it's kind of the same thing there. Um I mean also it speeds things up. Not having to adjudicate roles. You just you're just telling a story. So, um, but I don't think, I don't think really any, any books are going to tell you not to make rolls. Like they'll say, this is what the lockpick skill is used for. Right. And these are the instances in which it should be used, mm-hmm. but they won't ever say like, no, nah, you're not going to roll for that. Yeah. You know, most, most won't, most won't. All right. Be prepared. <sighs> yeah. To find the right group. But it's going to take time. But it's going to take time. Yeah. Um, if you find your first group as epic and they're wonderful, amazing. Hang on that to is, them. That, you know By what? I mean, hang on to them. Yeah. Cultivate that. Keep that. Roll with that. But that is not common. That uh-huh. is not common. Yeah. But but just, just remember that not everybody is going to mesh necessarily with your play style. And that's okay. Um, you might be in it for all the hack and slash dungeon crawling. And you may have invited two people to your game that are really in it for the elaborate role play. Yep. And they're not really going to mesh well unless you throw some elaborate role play into your dungeon hack and slash. Yep. Usually those two things are antithetical, but I'm not saying you couldn't pull it off. Yeah. But um, people aren't going to like your play style. People mm-hmm. will leave your game. That's okay. It's okay. There are plenty of other game masters in the ocean. What's important is that you find people who mix with your play style Yep. And mix with your personalities and stuff like that. And mix with each other's personalities well. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it's very important that, that you and they, as player DM, get along. Mm-hmm. But it's equally important that player and player get along yeah. as well. Because there's... And this is... Uh, this kind of goes into it is that um, there's a trust that you're building when you do any games when you do any story even if it's a brief story and it like a convention or something like that there still is a level of trust that you're putting in the players and the players are putting in you and that trust creates support to make sure that they're watching and listening and being an active participant in your story and that as you present it to them and that you're trusting them to be there for that story and it it sounds silly, but when it comes right down to it, that is the core of any good any good group that you can that you have attentive people who are wanting to be there, who are engaged, and are, will listen to that storyteller regardless of what direction the story takes. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, that that storyteller will guide them on a story that they're going to be interested in. Mm-hmm. But that takes a lot of trust to get through that. It does. It, it does. All right, along those lines, yes. remember, this is not your story. It's their story. Correct. You are telling them your part of the story, and you may be guiding the major plot beats and stuff like that, but role-playing is a shared experience. Agreed. And I've seen so, and this is what kind of what I talked about earlier, I, I, I read a lot of horror stories, mm-hmm. and I've seen so many... DMs or players that who've sat at tables where the DMs did not want to let go of their story. Yeah. Um, you hear the word railroading a lot. Oh yeah. And this is the main place where it comes in. Um, yep. as a storyteller, you need to be prepared for your players to do things that are unexpected. Um, that may be things you didn't have planned. Um, and maybe take your, your story in directions that you didn't expect it or necessarily even want it to go. Yeah. But 
it's important that you recognize that, at least as a storyteller, you relinquish a level of control once you bring your players into your world and into your story. Yeah. And when you start introducing characters and whatnot, you've got to maintain a flexibility to be able, if the, if, if you say, okay, um, you know, the big bad evil guy from X country comes and captures the princess um, and takes him off to his tower, you got to be expecting one of those players, instead of saying, we got to go to the tower to rescue the princess, to go, we need to go back to X country because this person is a royal there, and we can call in their royal guard, because he's transgressing, uh, you know, over country boundaries to do this. Okay, that's an innovative plan, but holy cow, I didn't have any of that planned. Uh, no, uh, the, uh, the carriage guy says he won't take you to the country, he only, he can only take you to the tower. Yeah. Why? Now suddenly everybody's immersion is broken, and you start getting disagreements where people start feeling railroaded. It's not your story anymore. Yeah. They say they want to go there, let them. Yeah, try and remember that when you're doing, when we talk about story creation, we're talking about a beat at a time in most cases, Mm -hmm, especially mm -hmm. early on. One of the the best things that you can do is get your style down so that you can literally create a story act by act. It It will seem to you as a storyteller that you're basically creating just random encounters. The difference is weaving that into a story. Mm-hmm. And initially, that's might uh, it might just be a chain of random encounters that your players believe is a story, and start coming up with ideas for what's really going on. Lean into that. Oh, Let yeah. them craft it completely for you. And and maybe it's not even your players that come up with it. Honestly, some of my best stuff has been like shower thoughts, mm-hmm. you know, or like on my commute to work. I'm just thinking, wow, I've been really leaning into the undead for random encounters. What's going on there, huh? Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a necromancer. I don't know. Why would there be a necromancer? <gasps> oh, because they found that other thing. Maybe the necromancer is because of this and this and this. Oh my god, I just came up with a great idea. And all of a sudden, you tie it all together. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, what became a string of random encounters where you thought, well, I'm using a lot of undead lately. What's up with that? Suddenly becomes this grand reveal. And mm-hmm. your players are like, you're a genius. And you're like, I know. I know. But it's <laughs> it's you're taking the time to craft that. Yeah. And that's really what we're talking about crafting. Everything else on top of that is flavor that we're throwing. Mm-hmm. We're, we're helping you add spice and edge and things like that and then give it a presentation. Yeah. So if you can make a mean cheese sandwich and then you grill it, you're doing great. Oh, yeah. And then when your players look at you and say, do you mind cross-cutting that? You're like, yeah, yes. I will cross cut that yeah, for you. Don't don't soup Nazi them. You yeah. know, don't don't say no. This is my creation. I yeah. only cut it in squares. Right. Let them cross cut it. That's if right. if someone says, "Hey, can we get some tomato on that?" Don't look at them weird and say, "Who puts tomato on a grilled cheese?" It's called grilled cheese for a reason. Yeah. Like I would, but <laughs> ye- let let them put some tomato on it and see where it goes. You know, it's wrong no longer your creation, especially if you're serving it to them. And actually, I think a chef is a really great analogy. Yeah. You know, if someone asks for a dish with an addition or a substitution or something like that, don't look at them and say you're ruining the integrity of the dish. It was supposed to be cooked like this. Mm-hmm. Tell them yes, they're the ones eating it. Correct. Correct. You're just serving it to them. Yep. They're having an experience. You're yeah. just dishing up part of it. And and be we we say this often, but be a fan be a fan of your players and your Always. characters. Always, you know, if they do take something off in a weird direction, it's very easy to have a chip on your shoulder when you've put a lot of planning into making direction A, where you just knew they were going to go. You're you did all that writing and all that prep and stuff like that, and then suddenly they see something shiny and they want to go off in direction B. It's very easy as a storyteller to have a chip on your shoulder about that and say. Why did you choose B? Why didn't you go for A? I put all my prep into A. Just hold on to that. But you know what? Choosing B may be brilliant. Mm -hmm. And it's much better for you and much better for them and much much just healthier for your Mm -hmm. overall emotional state Yep. to just not have a chip on your shoulder and say, okay, you guys want to go to B. That's your master plan. I'm going to make B the best B that it, that, 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 that it can that it can be. Yep. You know? Yeah. And just lean into it and or 
alter what A was and put it at B. Yeah, always always look at what A had in mind and see if it could if any of that can apply to B because they will they, if they're not going to A, they'll never know the difference. Mm-mm. They'll never know it wasn't supposed to be B nope. and all of your prep can get saved that way. Yep. Different names maybe? Mhm. The other thing or, or next thing I would say is just do it. Just do it. Just if, if you're if you're hesitant and you've been like, oh, but I need to do this first. Oh, but I need to do this. No, no. You're making Pick excuses. your feel. Pick your theme. Find your game system that Rip fits. Rip the Band-Aid off. Tear the Band-Aid off and get that zero session started. Yep. The longer you wait, the more it's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. You've got to be proactive in your game. Your players are not going to ask you when that first session is. Your players are not going to be there. You know, you might have one or two who are like, hey, I heard you said you were going to run a game. What's going on? Mm -hmm. You know, and those, if you've got that, freaking lean into that harder. Oh, yeah. If you've got active players who want want to hear your game and want to hear your stories, get them on your payroll. Those those are the people you need. But here's here's the thing, though, is that if you're worried about being an inexperienced storyteller, and that's what is stopping you from playing, there's only one way to gain experienced storytelling, and that's to play. That's to play and to fail and to learn from your failure and to do it again, and to play and to have fun and see what worked. Yeah, and do that again. Oh yeah, and do that again next time, and maybe next if time something you, worked. you fail at something again and say there was some problem, but you learn from that, and then. 25 years down the line, you've got a podcast where you rant about <laughs> how, to, how to tell new storytellers to, to just do it. Yeah. I mean, what it comes down to is if you're doing something right and they get excited and they talk about it, we're going to do it again. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, they won't notice because they're just having fun. Yeah, exactly. And you just keep learning. But you have to start. You have to get in there. Yeah, it has to be, you know, fro- you know, full of anxiousness and excitement. I mean, I will flat out say it, and this isn't something I talk to people about, but when I'm really excited, like if I've got a story and I'm getting into a game and I've got people coming together, <laughs> I I will almost always have a stomach issue, mm-hmm. and I will end up running to the bathroom like five minutes before game. And I don't throw up, but by God, don't go back in that bathroom. <laughs> but it's my body just excited and nervous because I want to tell the story. Yeah. And that's, it, it's it's a terrible feeling, but at the same time, it's a great feeling. There, I mean, there are still like, you know, Hollywood level actors with, with many golden awards sitting upon their mantle mm-hmm. that still get stage fright and will still like throw up before, you know, for oh, God, yeah. and stuff like that. It's fine. It's natural. But you know what? You're only going to get better at it, and you're only going to get less nervous about things. But when you know when you get into it, and you just do it, just do it. Um, so that brings us kind of to our last point. Yes. And I talked a little bit about failure mm-hmm. and learning from that failure. Yep. And that that brings us our last point. Sometimes games fall apart. Yep. Okay. Uh, I have talked a couple times for those of you who are longtime listeners of the show about, um. How I feel very accomplished because I've finished a couple of campaigns. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think that's a terribly uncommon sentiment in in experienced role players. Feeling accomplished well, about finishing things? No. Or... Actually finishing a campaign. Oh, yeah. Like, and, and, the, and the, the, there's, that's kind of a rare mystical thing. Very much so. Because... Oftentimes we when we start campaigns with grand plans for like okay so this is going to be a three act thing and the first act is going to be like twenty game sessions long you know yeah and well keep in mind when you're playing you know once a month twenty game sessions is close to two years well in most cases it will be two years you because know? you will not play every month exactly and if you and if you are playing you know in one of these sort of like regular once a week games or mm-hmm. something like that i mean first off hang on to that because yeah. holy cow if you can do that in your life do it um but you know us up uh, up around the uh the, the 40 mark um life life steps in life steps in and just you know various energy levels and adulting and such like that children time adults things so you know we we play once a month yeah and i try i want to say like 18 game sessions into mine or something like yeah that. and it's it's pretty wild you know well we always far. say if you get past three there's a good chance you'll make four yeah exactly <laughs> um but what i i guess what i want to say though is that um for every one successful game that mm-hmm. has gone a long time or even finished mm-hmm. um there have probably been five 
that I've been in that oh, has God. fallen apart. At least. That have gone five game sessions or something like that, and then we just stopped playing. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes people's schedules don't line up, uh, and you you can't get your group together consistently. And then it goes months on end where, oh, yeah. sorry, guys, I can't make it. Oh, sorry, I got to reschedule. Oh, sorry, something came up. And then you just stop trying, and it and your game ends. Sometimes your players aren't into it as you are, and interest drops off. That's I've I've been that storyteller and I've been that player. Yeah. Where I've had to tell the storyteller, I'm just not feeling it. I'm Mm-mm. sorry, I'm just not I'm gonna I'm gonna drop out of your game because I don't want you to have an unenthusiastic player. Right. Good luck with your continuation. It's not a reflection on you. It's just not into the game. Yes. And it's, it's I've I've been the storyteller too, where my players just you're like, hey guys, when do you want to play again? And they're like, uh, I don't know. I'll have to see. Yeah. Okay. I get it. No yeah. problem. Yeah. Let me know if you do. Yeah. And I've been there quite a bit. I think probably in the last 15 to 20, I'll, you know, I'll be safe. In the last 20 years of gaming, I think I've completed three stories. Mm-hmm. I think I've completed three stories. Mm-hmm. I know you've been in two of them. Have I? I finished my, my the first, first... The first 7C... First 7C act yeah. finished. The second 7C first act finished, the Children of Heroes. You mm-hmm. guys completed that first act, so I know those two finished. Um, and... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we did the, the seagoing one. That was a long time ago. It was a very long time ago, see? A very long time ago. But there have been other things that have just kind of not happened mm-hmm. that just didn't finish or partially finished and then really wasn't a finish so much it was it was uh this is the end of this yeah you know we need to move on to something else yeah it's sometimes you get bored with it yeah it, like as a dm you get bored with it you're there's, like there's nothing wrong with that it's okay on it does a week, not do mean we... you're a bad dm yeah it does not mean you're a failure no you should absolutely try again as long as you feel you are having fun doing so I will say one thing. When you are a DM and you have a session coming up, if there's something that isn't right for you, don't run it. Run it the next time. Reschedule Mm -hmm. it. Specifically as a storyteller, because the last thing you want to do is step into a story and not have the energy to tell it. Not be there for the players, because they're looking to you for that story. And that that is not a failure. You are giving them, you're giving yourself the availability to come back at it fresh. And nine times out of 10, I will say the next time you tell, you will be better Mm -hmm. because you will have time. You will have gotten past whatever that was. You will be able to have your players be like, Hey, can we, you know, get back to the scene? And you'll be like, yep, let's do this. Mm -hmm. And you'll be able to step into it because sometimes it's the story. Sometimes it's something else. Sometimes it's a moment that just wasn't right for you. And there's nothing worse than trying to soldier through mentally and being uncreative and just blah. And then having your players be like, that sucked. Mm -hmm. Like you shouldn't have done this. And then them not kind of feeling the next game. Yeah. Now, now the bad feeling, your bad taste in your mouth you had is now shared with them and everybody feels bad about it. Exactly. So it's better to just reschedule immediately, Mm -hmm. pick another date close at hand, but give yourself enough time to step away from it and come back fresh. And get support. Look to your players and be like, yeah, I really don't have the energy for this today. Mm-hmm. And they'll be like, okay, that's cool. That's cool. Some of them will come back to you because that's the thing about a group yeah. is that they will want that game session. But you have to be the one to say, We're, I'm moving it to this date and let's keep going. Yeah, Sean literally just did that actually. That's uh, great. He, was, he kind, of, kind of took a look at the calendar and was like, oh, my game is this Sunday. I'm going to have to reschedule. I can't. I, I'm not going to be prepared by then. Anything I come up with is going to be rushed. There we go. You know, yep. it's it's just taking that moment of self-awareness of going like, yeah, I just I just need more time. I would rather hand a quality game to my players than rush something out just to yep. just to say we played D&D. Yeah. But get the help that you need to get back up and mm-hmm. moving. Always do that. Yep. So. You want to hit some questions? Of course. We got a couple really good questions here. One question that we're just going to skip because it's an episode within itself, but we will say what the question oh, is. I don't know if we're going to skip it. I, I, think, I think this is a whole episode, honestly. Uh, I mean, which which, which one? Overwatches, without a doubt. 
I could talk for... We, we, I know you would talk for at least an hour. Uh, I mean, I, I could sum it up in a question, but I do want to do a right. larger question about where we draw our inspirations from. All right, well, go ahead. All right, so the question Overwatch poses that we are, that is hotly debated, apparently. Apparently. Um, pick one of the best or your favorite runs as a storyteller. Where did the idea for that particular story start? Uh, so, all right, I'm going to do the story as quick as I possibly can. So I'm the other, uh, a friend of mine is playing Final Fantasy VI right now. Okay. Um, and so I'm sharing some stories with him, and that got me on the hype train for Final Fantasy VI again, and I started going down the rabbit hole of watching some YouTube videos and listening to the music and stuff like that. Sure. I started telling Sean about this, and uh, about my favorite campaign that mm-hmm. I ran, mm-hmm. and I said... If you pick a pick it apart hard enough, you will find that it is equal parts Final Fantasy IV mm-hmm. and Castle in the Sky Laputa. Okay. If you just watch those two things, you will see exactly how that campaign unfolded. Interesting. Um. So uh, I was uh, I was in Japan actually. Okay. As an, I, I did an, uh, an, a stint as an exchange student in high school. Okay. And over there, for the first time, I saw Castle in the Sky Laputa by uh, Hao Miyazaki. That's beautiful. And it is it, still my favorite yeah, uh, Miyazaki film. It's wonderful. Um, but that is where the flying, uh, the floating fortresses mm-hmm. uh, that the uh, that the ancients had yeah. came from, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and what they had there was these four elemental crystals, which is the direct... Mm-hmm. Uh, Influence from Final Fantasy IV, mm-hmm. where there are an earth, air, fire, and water crystals that are all these powerful things. That, mm-hmm. The four elements became a very big uh, part of that story. Um, and so both of those things just kind of melded together into my own game world, um, where my game world was kept in balance by these four crystals. Mm-hmm. The four crystals were split off from the larger crystal that was essentially a crystal of pure creation energy mm-hmm. that was used in the heart of that flying castle. Okay. The lesser races didn't like the ancients subjugating them essentially. So yeah. they, the lesser peoples rose up and slew the ancients and shattered the crystal into its four component parts, earth, air, water, fire. Gotcha. And then my story took place thousands of years later when these crystals, which are thought to be have just been some weird legend, suddenly were being scooped up by a the big bad evil guy mm-hmm. so he could essentially become the next ancient. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Not bad. That Not was bad. it. Final Fantasy and Laputa. Yep. That's one. All right. All right. All right. I, all right. Okay. Okay. And okay. I'm done. And I'm done. See, three, three it, minutes. it only took me like three minutes. Um, I will have to say my favorite story that I've told in a while uh, was uh, Children of Heroes. Okay, yep. And the idea came from... Uh, I was literally sitting around thinking I wanted to run a more challenging 7C game that would be different. And I was trying to figure out how I could do it, and I literally had been... I mean, I won't say that I was I was suffering, but uh, Vicky tends to watch... Uh, Harry Potter when she just needs something on the background while she's sewing or doing a project or something because mm-hmm. she knows all of them by heart and can like literally just continue watching them whenever. Mm-hmm. And um, I looked at it and I went, I wonder if I could do a school somewhere that has any, you know, where players can be anything that they want to be, like grab any one of the nations and, and basically, you know, non-class types and how that would all fit together. And I'm like, I could use the henchman rules where I basically let them build themselves as henchmen and they could be at this school in Freiburg, which is the free city where where no one asks any questions. And they would be the children of heroes. They literally are the children of heroes. But there's a whole adventure that happens there. Okay. And so I literally started with the idea that it was kind of like a Harry Potter meets, you know, combat school for okay, these kids. Okay, okay. And, uh, uh, I, the, the whole city and, uh, and design of Freiburg kind of evolved by me slowly glancing through 
um, all of the details that had ever been put out there uh, about it in the world, mm-hmm. as far in the errata and such. And I was just like, why would any of this matter to children? And so I just started the game with the base idea that you are children of heroes and there's this person who is basically just not interested in running a city. And he looks to these kids as inspiration. And meanwhile, there's someone who would rather take the job and take his position. And so he is trying to conquer and own the land and is finding all these little loopholes and rules to try and figure it out uh, while using this silly school as a guise. He becomes the headmaster. And so the villain basically is this this well-to-do person who put himself in position next to the king, you know, the, the effective king of the land, mm-hmm. to usurp him. Mm-hmm. And it's just a matter of time before he gets it. I definitely see the Hogwarts references. Yeah, there was tons know. of that in yeah, there. Absolutely. Uh, and then as the story evolved, I threw in other characters that the players latched onto. Uh-huh. And it was fun. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was so, great. It was very, yeah. very, very memorable. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's my short version. There's a lot more detail to and, that. And now I'm more. playing that character in Sea of Thieves. You are so much <laughs> playing that character. Well, I mean, those characters not only grew up yeah. uh, to become teenagers and then go on an adventure and become more, but they're now even older and now looking at the entire country as a problem. And, and now instead to solve of it. like starting off as like fresh adventurers with like written backstories, we actually wrote the backstories as a yeah. previous campaign. So. They're yeah. very organic now as yeah. full-fledged adventurers. Yep, yep. So, yeah. And unfortunately, we're just so far out from that that I don't know if I can return to it. So, mm-hmm. And that's it's something I'm having to give up. Maybe, so. like, yeah, like we said earlier, sometimes, sometimes you just got to give it up. die. Yep, yep, yep. It's... All right. So the Mad Elf has a question. Uh, many of us have more people in our lives who want to play games than there is room at the table. How do you choose who to invite to the game? Oof. Big oof. I would say, I'm going to start by saying, always know the limitation of the number of people at your table. Oh, yeah, because it's very easy to say, I choose to not choose. Yeah. And then you end up with a 10-player game. Or worse yet, you have a 10-player game, but only five show up on occasion. Mm Mm-hmm. And and now you're trying to figure out how that works when you're caught in between the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. Where, like, everybody was at this scene, but you come to, you know, you start that scene back up and half the people aren't there to continue the scene. That's problematic at best. Yeah. It's it's uh, it's always idealistic to say that you're going to run that episodic um, mm-hmm. sort of thing. Of like, oh, hey, whoever shows up is whoever's available and yep. it's going to be, every game's going to be separate. But it comes with the obligation to finish your story every single time. And and that that's hard because players hard have do. cutoff points and you know points where they leave and things like that. And you have to kind of rush through your game because if it doesn't get to an, a logical endpoint, if it doesn't have a resolution, mm-hmm. then what if the next roster doesn't? You know, the, the same roster doesn't show up next time. Yeah. Yep. To answer the question of how do you choose who to invite to a game, I always go by looking at my story and the composition of who I think would work together in that story. Mm -hmm. I I inevitably will have someone on the roster who is definitely interested, who I spoke to about it and they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. I want to be on that. Mm -hmm. I want to be in this story. And then I look at that person and I say, okay, who compliments this person? Okay. Who's going to, as a character challenge this person. And then I stop myself at about, five or six people at the most yeah because I, I getting five or six people together is not challenging losing one of them not always a big deal mm-hmm. losing two of them problematic yeah. losing three of them we're rescheduling yeah yeah critical yeah um i think a lot of my uh my considerations come in of um yeah very very much first off who who showed enthusiasm for the idea mm-hmm. um you know, if if I've got someone who's been going, hey Sarah, when are you running adventure again? <laughs> uh, that that person's probably gonna end up at my table if I run adventure again. Right. When, sorry, when I run adventure again. Thank you. Um, but uh, you know, then then it kind of goes from like I, I do consider personality conflicts. Mm-hmm. Um, Very much know, so. This person might be enthusiastic, but if I haven't gotten along with them, you know, if I've, if I've had you know. Uh, uh, 
if if we're not if we're not tight, you know, mm-hmm. um, then I, I stand a lot less chance of me getting to the table. Um, and then you know, I look a lot at reliability. Um, yeah. I think uh, I know a good number of good role players that I will be happy if they ever show up at my table. Mm-hmm. But um, then sometimes it's like, well, if this person doesn't have reliable transportation or they mm. live an hour and a half away or they yeah. live an hour and a half away and don't have reliable transportation, mm-hmm. you know, all that sort of stuff. And they, they can talk a big game about, oh, I'll just get a ride with, well, I know, but you're going to be constantly having yeah. to reschedule or say no. Yeah. And I love you, but can't, you know, can't dedicate a slot in my game for it. Yeah. You know, exactly. Um, so I mean, there's a lot of considerations that go into it and it's like, it never feels good to say that someone shouldn't be invited to your game. No. And I will say this. If you run three sessions with that person and they've made every one of those three sessions in a row and they come to that fourth session, keep them. Mm -hmm. I always say if they've made it past their their fourth session, they're in the game. Yeah. That means it's good. You're you're good to keep going. And people will be like, dude, I I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep doing it. Have you done four sessions? Yeah, you're going. This is going to continue. Yep. I will make sure it continues because <laughs> you're, you're dedicated at that point. And I, I think that's really important. That level of dedication is important. Yeah. So. I think last question? Yeah. Let's do this last one. All right. Uh, so Knox in the Box asks, uh, I think we can all agree that when a storyteller truly believes in the story that they are telling, it becomes more authentic, which strengthens it. Hmm. My question is, should you ever try to tell a story that you yourself might not be super behind, but you know that the players have been wanting to try and risk losing that authenticity? Um, I think you're, I mean, this probably comes out more with like, player chosen plots and or modules yeah uh, with some something that's been written for you or at least in a direction that you didn't plan on your your homebrew campaign going and you uh um may not be you know may not have a lot of inspiration or ideas for it yeah like uh, somebody says hey can we do ravenloft next and you're like eh, i'm not really feeling the whole vampire undead thing i'm like oh man we really want to go to ravenloft all right, I'll run late Ravenloft. Eh, yeah, I, I I wouldn't do that. I, I wouldn't push that direction. I think if someone is really wanting to run Ravenloft, look at them and say, great, do you want to run this one? I'll, I'll, I'll roll up a character and you yeah. can run this one. And your character, you go, oh, but I want to play. Well, technically, you're part of the game, mm-hmm. you know, but you're wanting to do this. So it's just a matter of, I, I don't think it's a matter of authenticity. I think it's a matter of drive and passion. And I... I think you should sometimes if a story goes, if your story is going in a direction, your players want to quest in a certain direction that isn't what you want. Let them go. Like let them run that quest, explore it with them, see where they go. Cause you may learn a lot about your players, but if it's a whole plot or a story, don't do that. Yeah. Don't, yeah. don't let somebody else who really is passionate about it, run it. I agree. I, I think there's, there's a calculation there as a storyteller, um, where, uh, you have to judge whether or not you're going to have fun with it because we we say this a lot is you you are a player at your table too yes and it you know okay yeah sure if your players are really enthusiastic about it that's one thing but if you're not maybe maybe do shy away from that I, I agree like with your Ravenloft assessment like, yeah I don't know that I would want to run Ravenloft yeah you know it's too it's too grim dark for me so okay. but and so I wouldn't run Ravenloft well I yeah. don't feel you know yeah so. But uh, yeah, so I would say gauge your gauge what your players ask for, whether it's in in current game session or it's something new that they're asking mm-hmm. you to run. And if they've got passion for it, it might spark your passion. Yeah, I would, I would say ex- explore it. Don't say yeah. no off the cuff, but but explore it and really you know kind of mill it over and see if it's if it is worth it. But no is on the table. So next week's topic that we're going to do is we're going to talk about episodic adventures where you're basically just jaunting. On each one. So think if you've seen, you know, Stargate or, Stargate's uh, a great you know, or any, even Star Trek for that matter, where you're literally just starting something new every session. Mm-hmm. 
All right, you can find us on Twitter at ST underscore Conclave, on Instagram at ST underscore Conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on MixLR.com slash Storyteller dash Conclave. And uh, join us on Discord. You can find that link up on our Twitter, and you can also find it up on our uh, website at StorytellerConclave.com. We'd like to thank our Patreon members, uh, especially our name members, Knox in the Box, Sam, The Arcane Asylum, uh, Spark Emotion, and Veteran. Uh, we love having you guys along and helping us, all of our patrons, and uh, we'd love to have you join us here as well. Uh, if you're listening live, you heard our pre-show music from Arcane Anthems. You can find them at patreon.com slash arcane anthems. Our intro music is Beyond the Warrior by Gee Frog. You can find that at geefrogmusic.webly.com. Our outro music, which you're hearing now, is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find that at soundcloud.com slash midairmachine slash tracks. And big shout out as always to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much for supporting you, us through uh, 90 episodes. Now. 90, Jesus. All of our friends uh, who have sat with us at our tables over the years and given us all this experience we can now share with you yes. and every single one of you our listeners we love you so much stay safe please good night good night